HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and I'm here today. We're actually going to take a little bit of a, uh, a veer and uh, switch things up just a little bit. Today, we're, instead of being with a, a sommelier or a beverage director or, or a bartender or, or a winemaker or distiller, as, as we usually are, we're actually here with a chef. Uh, he's, a, he's a friend of mine. His name is Jesse Schenker. He's the chef and owner of Reset Restaurant uh, in the West Village. It's definitely one of one of my favorite local restaurants. Uh, I know that that Gabe and uh, Catherine, um, my business partners and the chef and uh, uh, pastry chef of our restaurants, are, are huge fans of, of Jesse's and, and, and close friends of his. Um, so I'm I'm just super excited to have uh, to switch things up and have Jesse on today. Well, thanks for having me, Joe. It's great to see <laughs> you, man. Um, so I mean, part of the reason that it makes sense to have you on our show, though, is that that you do uh, you do the the wine programs at uh, the wine program at your restaurant. How did you kind of fall into doing that? Um, well, it's it's tricky. I mean, because we are you know it's just me and my wife, so it's a small family owned restaurant. And, you know, we do everything from you know you name it, we do it. Um, so <laughs> basically, it was like you know we started with the general manager. When we first opened like three years ago, and you know that the position kind of didn't really we realized we didn't you know kind of need the position so to speak um and it just kind of phased out and uh lindsay kind of took over some of the wine ordering and we kind of developed a relationship with our wine vendor um and you know we kind of just you know started doing it and and then as i realized how much people love the wine and how much it like you know i really kind of you know took a passion into really learning about the wine and you know why it made sense with the food and the different producers and the regions and the grape varietals and I really just studied and I, you know, I kind of found a little niche where I realized what people really like. And the menu, the dinner menu is so succinct and small, you know, it's like, it's just very quality driven and, you know, it's not huge and, you know, it's, it's smaller plates. So I wanted the wine to kind of 
match with that. And once I got con- comfortable and control with the kitchen and smooth and kind of comfortable the way everything was flowing, it was like, all right, now I can put my energy into the wine. And that's been the recent like year, I would say. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a blast. So. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who haven't been to the restaurant, I think it's just like what, what you think of as a quintessential West village restaurant, what you'd hope that more restaurants would be like, but they don't always uh, deliver right. on. I think, uh, you know, at, at Delanima, we get a lot of chefs from bigger restaurants coming in saying, oh, this is kind of my dream kind of kitchen, my dream little restaurant. We're like, really? It's so small. But right. but I think that, that you get that at, at Reset as well. And I, it, it feels like you're there. It's so cozy. It's so homey. You feel the love that you and your wife bring. And it also feels like with the menu, you guys are you're, you're doing stuff that's like, you know, it's not a huge restaurant. You don't need to appeal to 300 people a night. So you're cooking really what you want to cook. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's like that. I mean, we want to, you know, we try to bring a good amount of technique and finesse to the food and, 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 you know, I don't want to say show off a little bit, but definitely strengthen our culinary muscles. And, but then at the same time, we want it to be fun and warm. And, and, and I think you do get that, you know, people do come in and they sit down you can see me in the kitchen, you see my wife at the door, you know, every, everything's hands on, you know, I mean, it's very, I mean, I could, I could turn around and see the whole dining room. I mean, the restaurant's like people's living room. It's like 800 square feet. It's tiny, you know? Um, so the same thing with the wine. We want it to be, you know, comfortable and fun and warm and, and, and succinct and, you know, and that's kind of direction we've taken it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a tiny restaurant, but making a huge splash Two two stars in New York times, two stars in New York magazine, you're named one of the 30 under 30 from Forbes and Zagat. And so you're doing really well with the tiny restaurant. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> doing really well. Um, no, things have been great. I mean, we've definitely made some impact and, uh, it's fun. So, you know, when it comes to the wine, I just want I want to make the same impact. So like you can come in and get a five course tasting menu for, you know, relatively, you know, for under $100 and you know, you get caviar and scallops and lobster and foie gras and all these great, you know, you know, precious items um and I want the wine to fit with that cuz for a long time the first couple of years, you know, you'd have these wine drinkers come in and these big, you know, burgundy guys and they're like uh, you know your food is amazing, but your wine list is doesn't it doesn't match up. It doesn't make sense, you know. And and for a while, people were bringing their own wine, and it was kind of it wasn't insulting. I mean, I understood it, and like you know, people with big you know collections, like of course, why would you buy wine when you have so much to drink? So it made sense to me. But you know, I kind of I researched that and I investigated that. I'm like, what do they mean by that? What do you mean it doesn't stand up to the food? I didn't really understand that. You know, I just knew it's a Pinot Noir. What's the difference? You know, it's you know. So I kind of learned a little bit, and um, and then I just kind of became like a name brand whore so to speak i just was like looking for you know i would go through all these great wine lists including your own and you know just looking at all these wine lists and seeing what did i what did i see you know like what were the common themes you know what were the common producers you know when you think chablis you think raveno and this guy and that you know i was looking for all these you know producers and then i went on the hunt to where to find them you know um and then i also i i, I spoke to some of the, the diners at the restaurant that i became close with and i said you know, let's do some consignment stuff. You know, I need some bottle age on my list and all the producers are selling current vintage, you know. Um, you know, so I've had some great experiences with some of my regulars that I actually go to their homes and, you know, just pick out of their, <laughs> their wine cellars and kind of just put it on the list. And, and it's it's very interesting. Well, I mean, I think that's a, that's a huge compliment to to your food when, when you have these like, 
you know, collectors of great wine or just people who are just, uh, you know, uh, avid diners who are saying the food's outstanding and you need great wine <laughs> because it, you know, to match the level of, of your food. Um, something that, that, that I like to say, and uh, I would love to hear your, your thoughts on this, um, especially as a chef, is that, that wine is kind of like the, the sauce that the, the chef you know, it's the sauce that gets played at table side, but the chef doesn't get to actually ever taste the sauce. Right. Do you, because once the once the food and the wine is in your mouth, the wine affects the the flavor of the food, and the food changes the way the wine tastes. Do you would you agree with that? Do you think it's overstating it? Um, uh, you know, it's it's tricky. Um, I think I think yes. I think if you have, you know, a delicate piece of fish or crudo, and you you're drinking a Rhone wine or a big Barolo. It's going to overpower the fish. I mean, I think it's just, you know, a wine that's too big for the food or too acidic or too tannic. I think it's going to, it could, it could, you know, when you, you, know, you take the bite and then you have a sip of wine and as you're chewing, you're swallowing the wine and the food and it can kind of, yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I think some wines are better at accentuating the food and then others can totally just dominate. I mean, I, I also love this story and this idea of, you know, <laughs> You became the the beverage director at your restaurant because it's a small restaurant, and you, you have to learn how to do those things. You know, I became default plumber our first, <laughs> you know, our first year opening at, at Del Anima. What were some of the things that you found to be really surprising about the the wine industry and, and buying wine? Um, surprising, I found. Well, once I once I kind of figured out who these great producers were, I realized how highly allocated they were, and I thought that was surprising. You know, I figured like, you know, what, what, why can't I get that wine? You know, there's only, you know, and then I just said, oh, there's only so many cases, but, you know, how come, you know, all these big name, you know, per se, Danielle, all his, they're all going to get the wine. Like, why can't I get the wine? Like, you know, like help the little guy. Like, I thought that was surprising. I these like highly allocated wines. Um, I also, you know, realized how, how the sales reps are. I mean, some of them are really full of shit, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's like, so true. they come in here and they like, they're trying to sell you and I'm like. Like, they'll tell you things that aren't even true, you know? Like, they're not even educated, you know? And, you know, it's not always the case. Obviously, there's some great ones mm. out there. Um, I find that, you know, so I, I taste with, with with a group. Um, we do weekly tastings with, with all the sales reps, with our assistant beverage directors and our seller hands. And and when, I, I mean, I have, a like, not a very bad temper. But when I find a rep who's just saying something that is total bullshit in right. front of, like, my whole team, I get pissed because i look at it as a moment to to learn and like this is an opportunity we can all taste together we can learn we can share experiences but if he's trying to just like just say something yeah yeah just to talk it happens right no it happens yeah it definitely happens and it happens to me probably way more than it happens to most people because i'm the chef i don't know wine i'm learning wine but i'm not you know what i mean like if you tell me you know two years ago or three years ago if you would have told me um burgundy red burgundies were you know Grenache, I would have believed you. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know. So it's kind of like, you know, people, you know, now that I've learned a little bit, it's kind of hard. I can, like, I can point out these, you know, the BS artists that come in and they're like, oh, you got to try this. It's blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm like, I'm looking at you like, get out of here. Like, you got to be kidding me, you know? Yeah, I find like once, uh, once the those BS artists start relying on point scores, then I'm like, you really have nothing to back right. it up. Like if that's if that is the story that you're trying to tell about this wine, there there right. really isn't much substance. You don't know what you're saying, you don't know what you're doing. Right, right. So what what wines did you find that you were immediately drawn to? Um, well, I think just again, I, li- I try to listen to the 
the the guests. I mean, that's that's like I you know I tell my chef de cuisine sous chefs I tell you know like let's listen to the diners because they're going to tell us about the food. Like, yes, I think it's good, and you might not, or this one might not, or in, internally we might all agree that it's fair, but you know, or it's great, or it's not good. But the diners will ultimately tell us. So we test new dishes. We we bring it to the level we think it's good enough to serve, or we we like it a lot, and then. We let the guests kind of tell us, you know, um, whether that's just looking if they finish the plate or asking the servers for the feedback or, you know, hoping that, you know, the diners will be honest. And most of the time they are honest with you. Um, so the same thing kind of went with the wine, you know, like I, I, I tried to find those sweet spots where I realized what people were drinking. And our burgundy, you know, is, our burgundy list is probably the biggest because, you know, I think, you know, some most of the food, it's it's not too rich. It's not super heavy where, you know. Um, it needs big wine. So it's like really, you know, I think Pinot is great. And then some of the stuff can go really good with an Oki Chardonnay. So, you know, I think that's like our, our happy balance there. Um, but yeah, I was just definitely drawn to, to Burgundy start from, from that basis. Cause most of the diners were like, you know, red Burgundy, white Burgundy, mm-hmm. like we're really, we're, people were ordering like the wine drinkers, the, you know, the foodies, the people that understood what was going on. And they just, you know, and again, high acid stuff, Rieslings, um, Austrian whites. I mean, it really... I was going to ask you about about acidity as well because I think you find a lot of uh, beverage directors and small A's, uh, you know, of this current generation just being super into like yeah. ripping acidity. Uh, oh, totally. Do you do you find that you you, you fall into that as well, or um, what do you think? Uh, you know, I, I, I try to. I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be like the follower. Like you know what I mean. It's hard. I want to be like stand on my own two feet, but like. Definitely. I mean, like the guys that I really respect most in the industry, I mean, they're Riesling nuts. I mean, that's just, you know, so I think it says something because it's kind of like a, you know, I think the average diner, like there's definitely a misconception, misconception about Riesling and, you know, it's, it's all sweet and, you know, a lot of it is, but not all of it is. And, you know, it's, it's kind of that wine that it's like good. It's perfect for reset food. It really is. Cause like we do a lot of crudos and a lot of salads and, you know, things that tend to be higher, you know, higher acidity levels and, you know, it works. It really does. You know? I also tend to like reasoning with things that are kind of fatty and lower city yeah. levels yeah, as yeah. well. You no, know? definitely, definitely. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It kind of is, it fits both ends. Have you ever bought wine that you were just like totally psyched about? Like, oh, this thing is freaking awesome. I'm so psyched. And then like no one would buy it. Yeah, it totally happens all the time. <laughs> totally happens. Like, like what, for instance? Um, I brought in, well, it just recently started moving, but I guess I brought it at the wrong time. I, I bought as much... Uh, um, Cola Marais. I got a bunch of Saint Albans, like all the Cola Marais, like different, a billion different sites. Well, not a billion, but like as many as he had. And I got like five bottles of each, and I did like a whole spread on Cola Marais, like a whole page. And you know, the stuff just sat, and like nothing was over a hundred bucks. You know, all the bottles were under a hundred. And um, I mean, we're talking about great producer, great wine. And you know, I probably brought it in early fall, so it wasn't like too cold or it was it wasn't even cold this it didn't get any cold this winter till like the end of january but um it didn't really move now it's starting to move a lot um but at the time it was like disappointing I'm like how it's not going you know like like why why do people just focus on the uh you know the domestic shards and you know like what you know and it kind of was frustrating yeah i mean I, I think i would have ordered that in a heartbeat i was just down at this restaurant bibiana in dc and they had on the list uh 
uh, Marissa Cuomo, who's like a, a very good producer from the Amalfi Coast. I know, but we can get it around New York. But they were so proud to feature Marissa Cuomo that it made me think, well, if they're so proud to have it like that, and then I want it. I right. want it there. So uh, I'm, it's also that's also surprising to hear that that even with like the dedicated page, they weren't uh, they weren't yeah. going after it. Yeah. Uh, Shocking. <laughs> what do you, what do you find people are, are drinking a lot of? Um, I would say domestic Pinot. You know, I mean, I, I have a soda, North Valley Pinot from Oregon. That's just you know, it's a great wine. I mean, you can't really good price point, good value. Um, can't hold on to that. Um, what else? Um, wine's about the glass. I mean, it's just like you know, it's big. You know, people love Sancerre. You know. Like can't, can't I can't go through like so much Sancerre um, even in the winter time, um, and it's tricky, you know. And then a lot of it's tough to get good good white Burgundies for a reasonable price. So it's like it's tricky, you know. So we have a handful that are for that are you know under a hundred bucks, and those fly off the shelves pretty mm-hmm. quick. Um, with, uh, with white Burgundy and a hundred dollars, you kind of have to go. Like off the bean path a little yeah, bit, yeah. maybe to Chablis. You do like Macon, like in the south of Burgundy. Right, right, right. No Chablis definitely will. That'll move. Um, we have this uh, uh, Noco Pinot Noir that we brought in, um, and it's I mean fifty bucks. Can't beat it. Like just. <laughs> flies yeah. out the door. You mentioned the, the soda as well. I mean, if you can ever find any soda, sparkling rosé. Not, not that I want to diminish the amount that is available for me to purchase out there, <laughs> but it is such a f- flipping good wine. Yeah, it is like the best domestic sparkling wine. I think we we had um, the we we might get it back this we're probably going to get it back this uh, this season the just the rosé from mm-hmm. Soder, but I've never I've never seen the uh, sparkling. They they don't they're not always around. They're it's tough to get. Allocated. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there goes that word. The A word. Um, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna take just a, a quick break, um, and we'll be back. I want to ask you a little bit about uh, your childhood growing up in Florida, how that influences you today, and your appearance on Iron Chef. All right. All right. called Intrigue by Obesity on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. You know, there's no more telling aspect, no more revealing virtue of a group of people having evolved in a lovely way than how they feed themselves, how they entertain, how they put food on the table, what they put on the table. Heritage Radio Network provides the clearest evidence that there's hope for us yet. Heritage Radio's like Fairway Market in that we both care deeply about what you're having for dinner tonight. Heritage Radio Network is not just about food, though. Every time I 
tune in. I learn something about things other than food, too. Architecture, design, stuff like that. But from where I stand, I still say, if you can't eat it, what's the point? For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. And we're back on In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, here with chef and owner of Reset Restaurant, Jesse Schenker. Um, Jesse, I did want to speak to you a little bit about um, your early experiences uh, with food. Uh, I know we've spoken about this before, but like you, you got into food really as, uh, as, a, as a child. Yes, very young. Tell, tell us about uh, how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Um, you know, it was really instinctual. I mean, I guess some people just, you know, you, you wake up, you know, you're a kid, you pick up a pen, you like drawing, you just can't stop drawing. It was like, it was that with food. I mean, I was just drawn to it, eating it, playing with it, you know, I mean, watching my grandmother, great grandmother, um, you know, in the kitchen when I was like barely a toddler, you know, and just so intrigued by the paring knife with the apple or, you know, peeling the celery, whatever it was. I just loved it. Um, I remember coming home from school when I was in uh, elementary school. And this is probably like, you know, early 90s. And there was that show, Great Chefs, Great Cities. This was like before Food Network even existed. And like, you know, you could see Danielle Ballou when he was like in his 20s and John George. And, you know, um, I loved that show. That was like, I would rush home just to meet the show. I think it started at 3 o'clock. I wanted to catch it. Um, you know, experimenting with food and making a mess in my parents' house. And, you know, and then in high school, just getting totally stoned and like experimenting and making a, you know, just totally totally screwing up the kitchen and them coming home and going bananas um so they were just you know they were they were for it i mean anytime they would travel anytime we'd go out to eat i'd say i would take menus and collect menus and collect cookbooks and and you know i'd go to like these old bookstores and get like you know scoffier's cookbooks like for like 50 cents like these old torn books and just was so intrigued by everything um so i started going to a vocational school while i was in high school like dual enrollment kind of thing I didn't like high school. I eventually dropped out, got a GED, and finished with the vocational. Um, and as cliche as it sounds, I mean, I had an older friend of mine who was a manager at McDonald's, and I was like, dude, give me a job. He's like, okay, you know. So I was like 15. My parents used to drop me off like after school, and I'd like, you know, mop the floors, and I kind of worked my way around. I did toasting of the bread, and then, you know, the, eventually the line. And I remember like looking at everyone in front of me and like wanting their job and wanting to be quicker than them, you know. Like I was just very like – you know, I was I was eager, and uh, you know, at McDonald's. This is at McDonald's. <laughs> you know, you're the the only one who's really ambitious at McDonald's. I was, I was, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a no. I was definitely, I was. I mean, I didn't have to work. It's not like I mean, I did it. I mean, I you know, I had you know, put an extra couple bucks in my pocket, which was good. But you know, I need to. And then there's a family owned like little Italian restaurant that I washed dishes at for a mm-hmm. long time, and I would watch the cooks, like, they would, like, you know, the flames and the fire and the burns on their arms, and I wanted that, you know, like, I just wanted it, and uh, so I just, I went after it, I mean, I just, you know, I did the culinary school thing, and then eventually I started, you know, f- finding out who these be- the best chefs in the city were, and, you know, I'd go to the James Beard website, or it was before the website, actually, I would, it was in books, um, and, uh, you know, I, I, this place, Cafe Max, it was in Pompano Beach, and it was like 20 minutes from my house and mm-hmm. I went to the chef and I called every day and, you know, I annoyed, I annoyed the shit out of him and eventually it was just like, all right, you know, you, you can make salads, you know, so they put me in the back um, making salads and I wanted to be the best and eventually I got on the hotline and kind of worked my way around and, uh, you know, just worked all over South Florida and kind of eventually just grew up, you know, r- rose up the ranks and eventually ended up working at this place, City Cellar in, in Miami as a sous chef and, 
And that's a more of a, a wine bar. That was a wine thing. bar, yeah. Um, that was my first like chef job, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it was awesome. And my boss actually said to me, which was like the biggest compliment, like you're too talented, like you need to go to New York City. And like as bad as, bad as I don't want to lose you, you need I, like I want to help you, like you need to go. And uh, it was awesome. It was like so I came up here and I staged around. And I spent time at. You know, Perseid, John George, Gordon Ramsay. I staged in all these kitchens and kind of tried to get my bearings. You know, and like is I, Gordon Ramsay going to open up a reset in London as well? <laughs> <laughs> what would you do? Yeah, I don't know. No. I don't know that. Yeah, that's fucked up. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just you know I absorbed as much as I could and like I just loved it. You know, and and you know I didn't really do anything else. I mean, I, I remember being like thirteen and like. All my friends are like, I want a dirt bike. I want for like holiday times. I'm like, you know, mom, I want a Cuisinart. You know, <laughs> what's wrong with you? I want a Cuisinart. I want like Wusthof knives. Well, tell us about. So you know, a lot of musicians have, uh, you know, the the Beatles have mentioned that that smoking was part of their creative process. Right. Did you feel that, or was that just a moment in your life? Um, it was a moment. I mean, it lasted a long time, and you know. I, you know, I, I decided to get healthy a few years back and kind of cut all that stuff. And, you know, so I've been going strong with that. But, um, yeah, it was. I mean, it definitely was. I mean, I would get in, I would definitely get intoxicated. I mean, there were house parties and, you know, in, in high school and, and, you know, the keg would be tapped. Everybody would be totally wasted, but like hungry with the munchies. And like, it didn't matter where we were. I would go into the cabinet and grab like chickpeas and, and capers and peanut butter and make come up with some concoction everyone would just like love it you know and that's like i was just always in the kitchen you know and it would annoy people they'd be like would you ever shut up about food like shut up <laughs> you know what i mean maybe that in some way prepared you for uh for iron chef <laughs> yes i think that's, that's true yeah yeah that's true it's like you know under 2 a.m you know intoxicated you know stressed everyone's hungry and yeah, what, yeah, it's true. Well, tell tell us a little bit about that about the Iron Chef experience. Um, I don't really know a ton about it, but I I always think I'm like, there's they have to, you know, like those dishes aren't completely on the fly, right? No, no. Well, I plan you plan a bunch of menus. I mean, you go in there with an idea of like you have. I have a I had a, a foundation of what I would want to do, and then when I saw the ingredient, I just plugged it. Okay. So I didn't go in there like with no, you know. I mean, you got to plan you have to have an idea. they give you an idea of what the what the ingredient might be is that what? they don't really tell you but they give you you know a ballpark you're in you're in a, you're in a theme of a bunch of ingredients so you kind of have an idea of what direction okay. but you and, don't know the ingredients and did, did you i mean did you practice dishes specifically for that or it's like i cook every night for a living like i'm i'm good all i did practice is timing mm-hmm. it wasn't about the dishes it was about making sure you can do it in time because you know, it's it's so easy to like watch the show and you know like young cooks with their egos like oh I could do that I'd whoop his ass blah, blah, blah. but like when you're in there and the nerves are going and the cameras are all over your head and the clock does not stop that's sixty minutes I mean it's real you know and you have no idea where you are and you know you have this huge studio kitchen it's it's nerve wracking you know and you're not in your own environment you know um, I remember I ran to the fridge to grab the grouper and like drop the fish on the floor I mean they edited that out thank God but. Like, like, you know, it was like, it was crazy, you know? And like, I almost like, I was butchering the fish and almost cut myself because I was so nervous, but. How did you choose which chef you were going to go against? Um, Zakarian. I was just kind of the, the way it fell. They, like, do you actually choose or do they tell you? Yeah, they kind of choose for you. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a, ro- it's like a rotating thing, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's a, he's a, he's a ninja, man. He's like, he's no joke for sure. I mean, all those guys, like. You know, again, it's it's easy to be judging and, you know, but like to go on there day in and day out 
and do that. And, you know, even, even if, you know, yes, you are planning dishes ahead of time, you, you might not know, you know, you don't know the ingredient, mm-hmm. but the fact that you constantly have to be pushing the envelope and thinking and being creative and, and it's not your and executing it. Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's right. tough. I can only imagine. I mean, it's, it's hard enough to get food out in time when people are waiting and, you know, in your kitchen that you're used to, right, but right, right. completely, you know, foreign environment. Totally foreign. I remember they uh, were picking me up in the morning. It was like five in the morning and I'm just thinking in my head, like, holy shit, like, how am I going to do this? You know, I mean? <laughs> like, you know, and like, you know, but I got there and then I saw everything and I was like, holy shit. I mean, there's just like, it's literally like a studio. I mean, there's the whole ceiling is just smoke machines and cameras and, you know, it was like totally, totally nuts. And they just build you up because like you go pick through the China and then, you know, you walk through, you look at the kitchen, you see where the fridges, they show you where the produce is, you know, spatulas, blenders, you could set up anything you need. And the whole time you're wondering, like, what's the ingredient going to be? You know what I mean? Like, which, what, what menu am I picking? Which direction yeah. am I going? Like, where's, you know? the, where's the room where they tell me what the secret right, ingredient right, right. is? Can I look under? Where's the, the fridge with the... Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's kind of just like, you know, but the whole time I just kept on, like, I was, you know, I just, I just, you know, you just kind of kick it into mode, you know? It's like, I've always been that way. Like, I, 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 I get, like, anxious and worried and, you know, I'm nuts. Yeah. But, like, when, when it comes down to things, like when opening the restaurant or getting through service or executing a party or... You know, it's like I get nuts and then, but I was just, I, I just push forward, you know, and yeah. Well, congratulations yeah. on the win. I think that's awesome. Yeah, thanks. That's definitely, <laughs> definitely felt good. Uh, uh, you know, you mentioned a few years back, you, you made the decision to uh, get a little bit healthier. I mean, I'm looking at you now. I've known you for for years. You, you never looked better. <laughs> thanks. Uh, even after, you know, the restaurant opening, baby, big move, you know. Uh, you know, you're looking, you're looking awesome. You t- tell me a little bit about, uh, about that decision and, and what that entailed. Um, well, I mean, you know, years ago it was just partying too much. I was like, oh, I got to just stop with that. Um, so I kind of just stopped doing that and then life just started to get better. I had money in my pocket. People wanted to be around me again. It was kind of like, you know, I was like, oh, this is, this makes sense, you know? So I did that and I've always been an extremist. I mean, so that's, you know, just the way I am. It's like when I decided to do something, I just kind of you know, hence the all or none tattoo on my arm. Um, and then when my son was born at his year, year appointment, um, you know, and I, I always, I always used to say, everyone's like, you're a big guy, but I was like, and he can't trust a skinny chef. You know, I got to taste the food. And so it was at my son's year appointment and I got on the scale in the doctor's office in his doctor's office. And I was like, I weighed like 255 pounds and I'm five ten. I mean, body index says I should be 180, you know, to be healthy. So I'm considered, I was considered obese. And I looked at, I was like, holy 255 pounds. I went home, I Googled and my wife's like, you're obese. You're not overweight, you're obese. And I'm like, what? You know? So I kind of at that point said, you know what? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta figure something out. So I stopped with the, like the late night corner beast show. (laughs) I stopped, you know, like all the, all the all the fatty things and the cheeseburgers and the fries and I the had pizzas. Too many of those yeah, bistro I mean, burgers. Totally at midnight or one a.m. Yeah, exactly. I was. I mean, I go no in there good. and get like I get a bistro burger with fries and then a uh, grilled cheese with bacon. Like you know, you get both. I get both <laughs> and I eat them both. And I wouldn't even. And I probably could have did it twice over. I mean, I was just a beast, you know. And uh, and the beers go down like much easier at Corner Bistro than anywhere else. I feel like the place is great. Yeah, it's great. They got a serious uh, formula. They figured it out. Um, yeah, so I just decided to cut. So I consciously made a better, like myself and I started going to the gym a little bit and I wasn't, I just wasn't into it. It wasn't, I couldn't do the gym and, um, through somebody I know, somebody actually set me up with this like psychologist weight loss guy, you know, like I didn't pay for it. Like I was like, I'm not going to go do that, you know, but somebody like did it like for a favor kind of. And, uh, I went to see this guy. I'm like, 
I sat down in his office and I'm like, I'm pretty good at bullshitting people, you know? And this guy just like, he called me out like in two seconds. Like he just knew like, you know, like, and I was like, oh my God. So I had like a lot of respect for this guy because he figured me out in like less than a minute. My wife was laughing. She's like, this guy just like put you in your place, you know? And uh, he's like, come back in a week. Try, don't eat any sugar. Don't eat any carbohydrates for a week. Let's see what happens. You should lose 10 pounds. And I'm like, what? So whatever. I gave it a shot. Go back a week later. Get on the scale. I'm 10 pounds less. I'm now I'm 240, you know, because I lost five pounds on my own. And I just like, got excited. I'm like, all right, I'm sticking with it. So I just kind of stuck with it. And I basically just cut carbohydrates. So no bread, no flour, no pasta, no potatoes, no rice, nothing like that. No more desserts. I just ate fish and vegetables and kind of lost all this weight. Yogurt, egg whites. You know, and uh, I still go out. I mean, I went to, since since the weight loss, I mean, I've been to Blue Hill at Stone Barns. I've been to 11 Madison Park. I mean, I go out. I've eaten well. I still treat myself, but I just skip the pasta course if there is one. And I don't eat the dessert, and I don't touch the bread. You know, I just kind of. Is that, do you find that's, that's challenging? You say it so matter-of-factly, but. No, I, I just, well, I just kind of do it. I mean, I yeah. just do it. I just kind of, and, and like, as you start to like, as I've lost all this weight, my like hunger is less you know like i'm not you know I don't, i'm not as i don't crave the food anymore one of the interesting things that uh that came out in the the new york times article about about your decision to be healthier um was the way that you uh the, i guess this the psychologist said that you're a, you're a finisher like I'm you, a finisher and i never heard that term before and i realized <laughs> that i am also a finisher like i i have to if there is if there's like four cookies left you gotta take there's i gotta take them all down i and i never realized that about myself yeah until reading that no it's it's true i mean it's 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 you know some people can handle it i can't i mean you put me down at a table if we go out and we get a bunch of stuff and we're sitting around you know what i mean and like everyone's kind of like oh like if there's like a little you know the daikon garnish or the you know what i mean like it's going in my mouth (laughs) you know what i mean i'm finishing every plate oh yeah like hungry or not hungry like you know like when servers like Go to, to clear like, no. a plate. Yeah, yeah. I'm always like, no, 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 no. I'll just, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, I mean, it's true. And like another thing that was cool is like he, he told me like if you can't moderate, eliminate. So I kind of stick with that. Mm-hmm. So if it's like foods that I can't moderate, like my son's goldfish or something, like I can't, I can't touch them because once I put the bag in my hand, I'll finish the bag. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. That's really good. And do you feel you feel better? Yeah, definitely feel better. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I feel my body more, you know, like it's like if I have like an achy shoulder, I could feel it now. It's not like through like this, like, you know, <laughs> it's like I'm more, I'm more aware of my body, you know, and I, it's, it's, it's definitely cool. And has that affected the, your cooking at all at the restaurant? Um, yes and no. I mean, you know, I mean, again, you go out to eat to eat. It's not, you know, if you want to diet or eat healthy, you know, you could cook, for, you could cook for yourself healthy or you can, you know, there's what 25,000 restaurants in New York. You could go to a diet restaurant. Um, so when people come to reset, I want them to, experience the food and it tastes good so do we over fat you know do we just add butter and cream for the hell of it no i mean things are you know purees and certain things are made with with lipids but that's because they need to taste good um but you know i've i have gotten into more like citrus-based vinaigrettes and using more stock and 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 less cream um but when i can you know what i mean i'm never going to sacrifice the flavor so it's not we're not a healthy healthier restaurant i'm not trying to go that direction but you know, you could you could eat healthy at reset and not have to feel like, you know, you just like the you know you get that itis when you leave. So you know you can avoid the itis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
eat, eat good and avoid the itis at reset. Well, yeah. you'll be seeing me avoiding the itis at reset really soon. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, I encourage uh, everyone, uh, all of our listeners, to also go because, uh, again, it's just one of my favorite spots. Great, great West Village restaurant. And uh, it has just uh, it has a ton of soul with you and your, and your wife just uh, bringing it every night. So well, thanks, Joe. Thanks, uh, thanks a lot, Jesse. And uh, thanks all of you for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.